Wild women, welcome. This is the Femme Podcast. If you're new around here, I'm Jack, one half of the Femme Duo. Before you dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up. The Femme Podcast is on season number two. You're about to listen to an episode from season one, which was the Spiritual Smackdown podcast where we invited women to rise from rock bottom. So season one is all about the Spiritual Smackdown. Season two is all about rising from greatness to greatness. More on top of more on top of more. It's where we tap into everything your woman desires. The money, the sex, the wealth, the power, the pussy desires. Start here and then come join us for season two. We're waiting. It's like a little tap on the butt or a huge womp on the booty. A spiritual smackdown is the universe's way of saying, hey, you, it's time for a change. It's time to listen to your intuition. You know, that little voice you've been ignoring. It's time for something bigger, something miraculous. But before you get to experience those highs, you gotta shift through the lows. Oh, those lows. And those often start at rock bottom. Hey, I'm Rob. And I'm Jack. We're best friends and business partners. We life together, work together, play together, and somehow we ended up here. With a community of thousands of badass, beautiful women who want more from life than staying surface level. Welcome to the Spiritual Smackdown Podcast. This is for the wild woman ready to rise. The woman ready to up-level her game in soul-driven business and elevate to the next level of her being. This podcast is going to connect you with women who are out in the world having a massive impact. This podcast is going to call on your truth. This podcast is going to initiate massive breakthroughs in your life and business to bust through the limits that are keeping you stuck exactly where you are right now. We're going deeper than surface level. We're going to the depths of healing to trigger your revolution. We're tapping into the struggles of growing and operating six-figure businesses, being totally broke and then rising to riches. We're diving into the spiritual growth, getting clear on what you want, learning how to ask for it, owning your worth, gaining confidence, and becoming a total queen of pleasure to raise your vibe and magnetize your reality. We're teaching you how to get strategically aligned in your business and challenging you to strip your business of all the weighted shoulds. And then we're going to watch your bank account start growing with more ease than ever before. So welcome to this space, a space for you to finally understand and celebrate that where you are right now is the perfect place to rise. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes, fill your cup with coffee or wine, and come get real with us as we spit our truth and get ready to rise. Hello, Wild Femmes. Welcome back to the Spiritual Smackdown podcast for the wild woman ready to rise. Today, we are so excited. We have Ashley Ray here with us. She is the founder and the CEO of Mala Collective. Ash, I am so excited to dive in and hear about all that you do. Like, I know that you run your business, that you design the collections of Mala beads, um, the crystal kits, the meditation cushions, and just like, at the quickest glance of your Instagram, like somebody can tell like just like how much love is poured into it and how beautiful everything is, is created. So I'm so excited to dive in and hear about your journey into, you know, your practice and meditation and balancing life as an entrepreneur and staying true to your practices when life gets busy. Well, thank you. I am so honored and excited to be here. And I have to say, just hearing the ramp up, the intro of your podcast got me so excited for the day and to be entrepreneurial and 
dive into everything. So like, I love what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Oh, we are so thankful to have you here. And honestly, looking at your brand. So I always like to check in with the people that we get to chat with and interview before we hop on the call. And when I saw your brand, I was so entranced. I I think I got like stuck in the Instagram rabbit hole for like at least 45 <laughs> minutes because all of the colors and the beauty and yeah, just the handcraftedness and the care that goes into your brand is like, you can feel it. It's palpable. And I really wanted to tell you that there's so many people and things on the internet and what you're doing just really spoke to me. So you're doing a good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I know a lot of people don't slow down enough and I'm definitely one of those people. I don't slow down enough to look back and appreciate uh, what we've done. So I do appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and how it's been? Of course. So Mala started in 2011, which is insanity. It's almost nine years. Like when I think about it, how big of a chunk of my life that's been, it's it's pretty significant. Um, so started in 2011 and you know, started the business by accident. I used to be a journalist. I was covering murder trials and one. Whoa. Um, <laughs> I know. I feel like this is like a big jump, but I love hearing the stories of like accidental entrepreneurs, you know, like we're just like, oh, I started it by accident. So yes, no, whoa. Okay. Like, not, not what I was expecting to come out of your mouth there. You know, it's not lost on me. I do feel like it was a lifetime ago and I don't think it could have be a more extreme opposite of what I'm doing now. I remember the first time I wrote a blog post about meditation instead of writing an article about uh, a court case that I was covering, thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much better. I love this so much more. So yes, a complete 180. So I was a journalist for about five or six years and quit my job, went traveling with my partner at the time ended up in Bali, which is the island of the gods, this gorgeous oh. place in Indonesia, and fell in love with these mala beads and kept going back and buying them and learning that the different gemstones have different healing qualities associated with them, like rose quartz for love and lava for strength and labradorite for serendipity. And we thought, wow, this is so cool that you can wear an intention with you through the day. So we bought a whole bunch of them, picking out intentions for different people that we loved and we were flying from Bali to Thailand. A woman came up to us on the plane and said, I love your aura. Can I sit and chat with you? You know, as what naturally happens on a plane. <laughs> this was already the weirdest thing. Right? Only on plane rides from like Bali. Like this, these things happen, right? Yes. Absolutely. I don't think that, well, who knows where else that would happen in the world, but definitely, definitely from Bali. Yeah. And we ended up chatting with her and, you know, fast forward, she ends up being the woman who made the mala beads that we had bought. So it was a very serendipitous collision. Her guru told her to get the beads to the West because they embody peace. The more people that wear them, the more the world will be at peace. And the West needs peace the most. And we said, well, you know, we dig peace and we're from the West, so we'll help you. And it was a very flippant, nonchalant, like, you know, I'll take your email address. She wrote her email in... Uh, Richard Branson's book, Screw It, Let's Do It, which I still have, which is just, you know, the whole thing is hilarious and comical. Ended up back in Vancouver a few months later and 
finding your email address in the cover of this book with a very apt title. And we're like, yeah, screw it. Let's do it. Let's help this woman. And that's many years ago now, like almost nine years ago. And that was for me, the beginning of my mindfulness meditation journey, very curious around what does meditation look like? Is it, you know, some old dude with a beard sitting on a cushion for an hour? Cause I don't think that I can do that. So what is a more attainable and accessible uh, way to look at meditation and mindfulness and as we explored that, we realized, oh, people are also really curious about this meditation thing. And mind you, like, hey, eight or nine years ago, it wasn't as popular as it is now. By no means did it not exist. Of course, it was, you know, a big thing for many people. But I, I think it's normalized a lot more in society now. And people don't look at it as this weird woo-woo thing anymore. Most people are very open to talking about it and curious about it. And as that progressed, I just became really curious of what does a practice look like in your home? What does it look like throughout the day? How do you practice mindfulness or what can you have out around you that reminds you of an intention? So as you guys mentioned, like we work with crystals, we work with meditation cushions. I'm sitting on one as we speak. So I have them all around my home and just this, the business has really become a reflection of, you know, myself and my team's curiosity around what meditation and mindfulness can look like and how do we support people on that journey without telling them there's a right or wrong version to it, just exploring different variations and manifestations of it. Well, and I think that is such a huge thing for a lot of people. Like you said, like meditation, mindfulness, like practicing stillness is becoming like much more accessible for people. But definitely like I know my journey into meditation, I thought I couldn't meditate. And I've been, you know, I've heard this from so many people, like I've tried to meditate and I can't because of this idea that I thought it had to look a certain way. I thought I had to be, you know, sitting in this position and that it had to be like complete silence that no thoughts were allowed to enter my head. And if I did, I was doing it wrong. And when I first even tapped into guided meditations, like guided meditations still to this day, like that's just not how I meditate. Like that doesn't work for me. But because I thought there's only one day, way to do it, because that's all I had been able to find online, I was like, oh, it doesn't work for me. And so I resisted diving into it for a long time. Yeah, I hear that. I feel like the two most common responses I get are, oh, I know I should meditate, but I don't know how, or, oh, I'm doing it wrong. So I stopped because <laughs> people kind of look at it as an all or nothing game of, well, if I'm doing it wrong, then I, I should just stop and, and give up. Whereas I'm so grateful. I, I travel a lot and spend a lot of time in Asia and I've been able to take meditation trainings and retreats from like Nepal to India to LA to New York. And with all of that learning, there is no one right way to meditate. I haven't met one person on that journey where they can sit and eliminate all their thoughts. I don't think it's a realistic approach. But if you look at it as, hey, I'm going to give myself a gift of five or eight minutes to be still and to breathe and, okay, I have a lot of thoughts. Great. What are they today? Maybe reflect on them. Like, just that gift of spending time with yourself, I think, is so beautiful without the pressure of, ooh, there has to be no thoughts and my leg can't fall asleep and I can't be hungry halfway through because <laughs> that is normal for every single person. <laughs> normal for me. It's normal for me and it happens every day. I think the cool thing about meditation in that sense is that you get to see all the imperfections come to the surface, right? You get to feel the hunger. You get to see the thoughts rise. You get to experience your body and your mind without 
rushing through it without racing to the next thing. And for me, I mean, my meditation practice has changed a lot since I had kids. I find what happens now with my babes often is if I only have a few minutes, then I feel all this pressure, you know, like, oh my God, okay, I only have 15 minutes. So now I've got to hop into this and like, I have to sink into deep meditation really quickly or I'm not going to get the benefits and blah, 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 blah. So for a long time, this kind of story would enter my head as soon as I would sit down to meditate. Well, then I would have to spend twice as long quieting my my mind about that story before I could even <laughs> begin to witness all of the other things, right? So I actually think the coolest thing about the meditation practice is that we're actually just giving ourselves the opportunity to witness whatever is going on, right? How busy is my mind today? How am I actually feeling? How fast is my heart beating? So what if my left leg falls asleep? Like, what does that mean? How do I deal with that? Am I judging myself or am I accepting it, right? So it gives us this opportunity to kind of see like what's stirring under the waters because like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Ash, we we don't pause anymore, right? We don't take a minute to just slow down and reflect or go inwards and, and to ask ourselves like, hey, how are you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And your comment of the judgment is so important because if you go in thinking my mind can't wander, because it will within, you know, five, 10 eight seconds. If you spiral into judgment, as soon as you notice your mind has wandered, well, there's the rest of your practice is you judging yourself for eight minutes or 10 minutes versus, okay, my mind has wandered. I'm going to let that go and just come back to my focal point. So, you know, the way I, I was taught meditation is you can have a focal point of your breath, which is always with you of a mantra, which is a word or a sound, or something tactile like mala beads. So we make the tool to help people bring their focus back. But your mind is going to wander from that focal point every few seconds. And I, I, I truly believe one of the biggest parts of meditation is going through that 8, 10, 15, 20 minutes without spiraling down a tunnel of self-judgment for your mind wandering every time. Because that is, that's a big part of the practice is just loving yourself through it and being kind to yourself through that sit experience. Mm, I'd love to hear too, when you talked about using like the Malabeads in the meditation. So I, when I first started meditating, it was really focusing on the words and you said it there, like let go. And we were actually in the midst of our let go courses just going on, just starting right now too. But this is how I started to meditate was really like that inhale breath was like let and that outhill outhale exhale breath let's go hey guys i love making up (laughs) new words so just roll with me on this one so like that inhale of the the let and the outhale of the outhale i'm gonna keep going with this now guys of the go that helped me really like step into my meditation practice but i'm really interested to hear more about how you use the mellow beads as well i love that you use let go i notice whenever we do anything around letting go it's a really beautiful concept for the beginning of the year but all year long. It's really important. When I'm using my mala to meditate, there's 108 beads on it. And you essentially can use it like a rosary where you turn each bead in your fingers and you slowly work your way around. And on each bead, I inhale and exhale. And similarly to you, when you inhale, let and you exhale, go, I will inhale an affirmation. So an I am statement. So I'll inhale, I am. And I'll exhale whatever word I need that day. So it could be grounded, supported, love, abundance, patience. But at the beginning of my practice, I'll sit and take a few breaths and 
ask myself, okay, what do I need today? And then that becomes my affirmation. So inhaling, I am exhaling the word I need that day, going around 108 times with, you know, a deep breath, deep inhale, deep exhale. I know that if I've gone around in three minutes that I'm really anxious (laughs) that I probably need to do it again, but it'll take like eight to 10 to 12 minutes, depending on how deep your breaths are, but it becomes a tactile focal point. So I notice when I'm teaching meditation, you know, let's say you set a timer on your phone for eight minutes, you feel like you've been there for 20 minutes and it's been 35 seconds, you know, 45 seconds. And it's really uncomfortable to sit with your own thoughts. The mala becomes a timer as well because it's a tactile timer. Once you go all the way around, you know, you've finished a meditation. So if you want to peek and look out, you're like, oh, cool, I've made it halfway through. I've made it a quarter of the way through. It becomes a physical reminder that you don't have to keep opening your eyes. Once you've gone all the way around to the tassel, then you've hit a full meditation. So, you know, it's it's a focal point. It's a timer. It's something that's really beautiful that carries a different intention with the different gemstones. So I notice a lot of people will choose the different gemstones based on, you know, what they're manifesting in that moment. So it's, it's as much as you put into it is what you get out of it. I love that. I used to have mala beads that I got as a gift. And hearing you say that makes me realize that I have never actually used them properly. <laughs> so I'm going to try it today. Oh, there's no problem. Like, I, I hear you, what you're saying about the tool. But hey, if you just have them around you and have them on your wrist and on your neck and they remind you to breathe or they remind you to, you know, whatever your intention is, that's using it properly. If you want to use it as a tool in meditation, then that's that's also how you can use it. But mm-hmm. I'm going to try it as a tool. Yes, I love that. That's great. And, you know, I always... I notice when I'm flying, I'll wear a whole bunch of bracelets and I'll always end up sitting beside a nervous flyer and give them a bracelet and like, okay, just breathe and focus on the beads. So you can also do them on, on bracelets, but they, they become kind of like something to put your energy into when you're anxious, even when you have something like flying, for example. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, first of all, I have a question for you because our podcast is called the spiritual smackdown podcast. And one thing that we really like to talk about and to lean into in this space is the real life aspect of, well, life (laughs) of running a business, finding yourself in womanhood, speaking your truth. I want to know first off, what comes to mind when you hear the words spiritual smackdown? (laughs) I think of an awakening or kind of like a reckoning or, you know, going through something and and coming out the other side stronger, but it being a little bit uh, like a wake up call or uncomfortable wake up call. I do most of my deepest learning through really uncomfortable experiences. Oh yeah. I think that rings true for all of us here and most of our listeners as well. And that's why we really like to like dive in. And, you know, sometimes it's so easy to look at other people online and who have this like beautiful business and just be like, oh my gosh, it was, you know, it was just so easy for her or I could never do that and all these things, but we don't recognize like, okay, everyone had their own path and their own journey to get to where they're at and they're still growing and still, you know, expanding and it doesn't always look so pretty and it's not always easy. Yes. I, I have had a couple of funny experiences with that, that I've had somebody say to me in the past, I wish something like this would fall into my lap like it did for you. And I understand where she was coming from when she said that, because that was definitely a serendipitous moment, how our business, you know, manifested and was born. But what people don't see and they don't hear is, hey, we went home and we had no jobs and we hustled and we worked till two in the morning and we went through years and years of self-doubt, of being told we couldn't do it, of people judging us 
of, you know, getting more and more credit cards and maxing them out. And, you know, all of these experiences that entrepreneurs hustle through, the sacrifice isn't, you know, as beautiful of an Instagram post as hanging out in Bali is. So I think that, you know, that's on, I'm learning also to be more open and vulnerable and real about those experiences. But I think when people see people's Instagram feed and they see the highlight reel, that's very curated, that there's so much sacrifice and hustle behind those things that, you know, maybe isn't shared as deeply. Even what you said there, this person saying like, oh, it just, I wish something like this would just fall into my lap. The thing is, is the universe put this in your path, but then you chose to like do something with it. You were willing to get uncomfortable. You were willing to like, you know, make the sacrifices. You were willing to face the rejection, the judgment, the scary times, I'm sure when it was like maxing out credit cards. And this <laughs> yeah. is oftentimes, I think it's like, no, no, the universe has put something in your path, but you weren't open to receive it or you walked away from it because you weren't willing to like step through that scary stuff. Oh, absolutely. The amount of people that said, well, what are you going to do when your little bead business doesn't work anymore? And I know they meant it from a place of love in the sense that they're protective of me. But now they're like, well, of course you quit your career because you met a hippie on a plane. Of course you did. Now it makes sense because they've seen nine years later that it's working. But in that moment of fear, I think it's so easy to pull back and play it safe. And I understand. I understand that. I'm I'm not judging that at all. But what I do offer to people is think about how many people that you meet on a daily basis that could change your life. And it's up to us whether or not we want to take that leap and follow through and pursue that experience or that opportunity or that connection. And if we opened our eyes to it a little bit more, there is serendipity all around us. It's our choice whether or not we act on it. And if we let fear hold us back from those moments and those beautiful experiences of what they could potentially be. And that's it, right? Looking back, it all makes sense. Like looking back, it's like, oh yes, of course you sat beside her on the plane. Like, of course you picked up this book. Like, of course all of this, you know, was aligning perfectly for you. But in the moment, it's like, okay, it's it takes a lot of like trust, surrender, a lot of just like, yep, I'm going to just like keep taking each next step, even though I don't know what this all looks like, even though I don't know exactly where I'm being led to. Yeah, absolutely. In the early days, like when everything was looking a little, oh my gosh, we don't have jobs. Is this crazy? Who was that woman? Who are we? Like, what are we doing here? What was one of your biggest fears in that time? Can you remember starting out and being in that um, super vulnerable space of like, oh my gosh, are we actually doing this? What was one of the fears that really, that you had to work through and let go? well, how much time do you guys have? Because there was a lot. <laughs> there was, and there still is. It's not like looking back and being like, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful I have no fears left. They shift and they change and I've managed the self-talk a little bit better. But I remember in the early days, there's just this feeling of like, God, I'm not good enough to be running this business. And if only people knew I was 24 responding to their very deep emotional sharing emails about their sex change and how that mala helped them get through it or how, you know, meditating with this mala helped them get through uh, an abusive relationship, helped them through their divorce, helped them as empty nesters. These experiences that people were sharing were so deep and so profound. And I thought, how dare I be the one that reads these emails? 
sitting in my underwear eating Thai food at one in the morning in my apartment when they maybe imagine it's somebody who has these great depths of knowledge and experience. And I felt as if I was a phony or whatever, whatever I felt, I just felt all these feelings of not being good enough to be the one answering those emails. Not that I was telling people that I was this, you know, guru or spiritual leader, but I just felt, I just felt like I wasn't good enough to even be worthy of reading those emails or to be invited into someone's journey in that way. And that definitely was probably the biggest fear that manifested into every other little fear, because that's a pretty huge overarching one. And I would say that lasted a good three or four or five years. It's like a pretty big run. I did a lot of self-work on it. I worked with coaches. I went to therapy. I did a lot of journaling and reflection and of course meditated. But I remember one morning I just woke up and I said, whoa, Ashley, you playing into this fear is actually robbing so many people of this experience. So you should get over yourself and get out of your way and, uh, you know, stop being so selfish. <laughs> and it was like a pretty harsh inner voice saying, you know, get over it. Everybody's scared. It's not good enough. It's not a good enough reason to be in this place of lack and not enough. So I definitely still battle with that. I'm still very aware of my, where, where do I feel unworthy right now? And how do I work through that? And instead of letting it last for three, four, five years, I will acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling really unworthy here and journal on it, you know, listen to some podcasts, talk to some friends about it. Even just talking about it for me removes a lot of the shame and a lot of the, you know, darker feelings around it. Knowing that other people feel it. Oh my gosh, I'm not the first person to feel this. It removes a layer behind it as well, removes a little bit of power behind it. So I've noticed different approaches I can take to working through them, but they still exist. They just manifest differently and I approach them in different ways now. One thing that stood out for me there when you were talking about this, because I actually, I, I know through experience, through coaching our own clients and just chatting with women in our community that this comes up a lot. This fear comes up a lot. The imposter syndrome, the not being educated enough, not not having enough experience. And one thing that you said that really stood out for me was your age. A 24-year-old yeah. sitting here reading these emails, you know, eating Thai food at one in the morning. And this is something we've been talking about a lot lately is, number one, what is age? Yet we have this vision of this guru woman who's in her early 60s, who's been through life, who's felt all the love, who's experienced all the loss, and we're not her, right? So how can we help other people when we haven't, we haven't lived a full life yet? But to me, I hear that and I'm like, you know, what good is it to all of us if we all wait until we're in our 60s to finally step out and use our voice, right? To finally step out and to share. And my coach, who we pay a lot of money, we invested in a high level coach and she's younger than me. And never once have I been like, oh, she's younger than me. Like, oh, I'm just not going to listen to her. I'm going to snuff her off because she's young. What does she know? You know, yet I feel like so often that age piece is such a determining factor in our power, in our ability. And how do you feel now? How do you feel now as a 30-something in your leadership role? Well, great question. I would say a few things have shifted. In terms of being a leader of a team, for example, I am so grateful that I have the most incredibly powerful, beautiful, wonderful team that takes this vision of what Mala is even bigger than I could have imagined. And we all acknowledge it's bigger than us. So to have 
people around me that lift that up and support Mala, not Ashley as Mala, but Mala is so inspiring. So that, that took me many, many years and we can dive into that after, but leading people has been a big struggle for me in that whole self-doubt arena. So the gratitude I have now is incredibly overwhelming for this place, but being in my self-worth as creating Mala and bringing this brand to what, what it is, it's quite funny. The book that I'm writing now is around being enough and around that mantra, I'm enough. It's around worthiness. And I find it so hilarious. I'm writing with a coach and I said to her like, Hey, I don't know if I'm enough to write this book. <laughs> I don't know if I am worthy enough to write this book. And she was like, Ashley, I really hope <laughs> you see the irony in what you're saying. I'm like, yes. yes, I acknowledge. And I am aware, but I need to be very honest. Like, who am I to be writing this book? Like, shouldn't I have accomplished so much more? Like your reference to being in your 60s and lived life. I never thought of it that way, that maybe there is a big service of being 33 and being able to share that. So people in their 20s and 30s and 40s can also identify with that versus needing to feel like they've accomplished, you know, 30 more years of experiences. So I, I still reckon with it, but I I feel more aware and in gratitude that it's a human experience that every single person faces. So I, I'm no longer feeling like I'm the only person that is going through this and I'm alone and I should be ashamed and embarrassed. I'm like, no, I feel unworthy in this area, but I'm going to, you know, nip that one in the bud. And I do often find that what we seek most is what we end up teaching. And I am so curious around uncovering unworthiness and what does it feel like to be enough? Because when I see my friends and my family, I'm like, oh my God, you're so beautiful. You are enough. You're so spectacular. How do you not see that? I'm like, oh, why don't I see that in myself <laughs> the same way I see that mm -hmm. in my team and my friends and my family? And so it is constantly on my mind. And I would say it doesn't rock me as deeply as it as it used to, but it's still like, hey, it still lives there. It's still it's still there. Well, and I think the thing is that these are thoughts that we all have. You know, these are thoughts that we all have, but oftentimes we think we own them. We think like, okay, this thought is unique to me when I can tell you like Right now, I'm also currently writing a book, but I put it on, I started writing it three years ago and I put it on the shelf because I was just like, who really wants to read this and hear the story again? And like, can I actually write it? I'm not a writer. And all these stories, you know, that you, that you start telling yourself. And then, I mean, the minute that I started writing again, I was like, oh yeah, this is why I'm doing it. Like, this is the powerful message. People need to hear this. And I mean, it's literally just been the past month that I've started writing again our coaching clients, most of them know that I'm writing and just hearing people being like, okay, like when's like, I'm just like so excited for it to come out. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is something that people need to hear. So I just need to tell that voice to like, shut up yeah, and keep going. Yeah. I had to look up this quote as we're on this topic because I read it last night and I don't do this very often because I, I'm a quote lover and I read a lot. And so it's not very often that I get stopped dead in my tracks, but I read this quote like four times and digested it and digested it and digested it. And as we're on this topic, I had to share it with you. It says, what if you moved through this world as if you were easy to love? What if you moved through this world as if you were easy to love? And I was like, easy to love. Everybody loves me. Of course they do. What if I was easy to love? You know, and this idea of trying to be enough, struggling to be enough, fearing the judgment. Who am I to do this? Facing the imposter syndrome. But 
What if I moved through the world as if I was easy to love? I read that and I am immediately like, I feel relief. Like, oh yeah, of course I'm easy to love. Of course I can just be myself. Of course I can just write this book. Of course I can just tell my story. I'm easy to love, right? People don't have to work to love me. I'm already loved. And it's crazy when you think of it from like the other perspective, right? Like as soon as you said that, I was like, of course, like Robin, you're so easy to love, but we, it takes us time to like sink into that feeling for ourselves. Yes. And I have to be honest, one thing that comes up for me as we talk about this and as we dive into this conversation about self-love and feeling like enough, like I'm 33 and I don't want to spend the rest of my life learning how to love myself. You know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to be enough or getting into the mindset that I already am enough or proving that I'm enough. I just, I want to spend every single last waking breath knowing and trusting that I'm already enough just the way I am. Because think about how much energy you waste, right? Think about how much worry and anxiety and stress and fear and lack of movement or motion or action happens when we sit in that place of, am I enough? Am I really good enough to write this book? If you really got stuck in that thought, Ash, there's no way you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have even put pen to paper yet. Right. That's very true. And I, I feel like the journey of always growing through that, I, I do believe I probably will spend the rest of my life going through different versions of awakening of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've gone through, am I enough as a partner? Am I enough with my femininity and sexuality? Am I enough as a leader? Am I enough when it comes to money? Am I enough when it comes to like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm experiencing and learning so many versions of myself through every layer that I'm peeling back. So I hear you and I'm, I understand the, I don't want to live my whole life wanting from enough but I'm, I'm so curious of what does each chapter look like and what does each new awakening mean and what does each new layer peel back represent of you and what do you learn about yourself in each new level of I feel unworthy here, I feel whatever that is. I'm so curious, you know, when I have kids, what will be my fear or my not enough thought process then and how do I work through that and maybe with those tools of each version of I'm not enough I can learn to tackle them faster and faster and with more love and with more kindness and with less judgment because I think that they always exist on some level whether they're big or small Mm -hmm. not that I want them to (laughs) yeah but I think the thing is you're willing to embrace them as like okay like I get to I choose to I get to grow through this I get to allow this to expand me it's coming at it from a different place you know versus like not this again versus like okay what is there to learn from here where can I peel back another layer like where can I get deeper within myself and my practice and my learning and my knowing Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even the ongoing practice, I love how you said, you know, I'll check in with myself and say like, okay, where am I feeling unworthy right now? Right. Rather than waiting for waiting to discover the block or waiting to find the resistance because it comes up for you in the form of a spiritual smackdown or the form of, you know, blocking a manifestation, but rather to just sit there intentionally and to meditate on it and to really think it through like, oh, where am I feeling unworthy right now? So that you can shift it before it perpetuates even. Oh yeah. Before a, absolutely. Before a ginormous self-sabotage happens, which let me tell you, I'm great at that too. So by no means am I perfect. I try to acknowledge these things before they happen. And like, 
you know, sometimes I just really need things to implode for me to learn uh, in the strongest way. So I'm, I'm by no means preaching, let's all meditate every day and understand our lack before it manifests into something. I, I'm on both sides of that. I let things manifest because I want to avoid them. And I let things turn into whatever, like you're, you know, you're calling it a smackdown. I think that's a beautiful way to phrase it. Whatever that awakening or that moment of reckoning is, I still absolutely go through them. And I think they get louder and louder and louder the more that we ignore them. Oh, yes. And honestly, I think that is something you should preach. Like, let's all get on our meditation pillows and prevent self-sabotage, you know? Like, you don't (laughs) have to go there. But I feel like so, and I love that you're out in the world spreading this message and providing us with tools to do this because, sorry, I'm going to use this word. It's going to trigger a lot of people. But in, in some senses, we do let our spiritual smackdowns occur, right? Because we we're not often acting proactively when life is good mm-hmm. we our meditation pillow collects dust and then as soon as things start to get rocky we're like oh boy okay where's my toolkit what am I supposed to do again when I'm starting to feel depleted and disconnected and unworthy oh yeah okay now I should start meditating and listening to these podcasts and what what if we did act proactively what if we asked ourselves every day where am I feeling unworthy where am I not showing up as best as I could where am I not living with intention in my life and of course oh my gosh, the smackdowns will come. Will they ever, right? I don't believe the ebbs and flows of life ever stop, but maybe when we act proactively, maybe when we sign up for the course that's calling our name, or we say hello to the stranger we feel inspired to connect with, or we quit the job that's burning us out, maybe then when we start to act proactively, the smackdown doesn't actually feel as brutal, right? And that's what I love about your message. Mm, I hear that. Thank you. I feel like even in in a business sense, if I could summarize it in experiences that I've had, you know, in areas of avoidance, when I'm scared of something, I'm fearful or uncomfortable, I used to avoid. And I was reading a business book and it was talking about abdicating versus delegating. And I would abdicate and run away from and hand off stuff that I didn't want to deal with. And stick my head in the sand and I called it ostriching, just, you know, burying my head in the sand so I could avoid it versus doing the proactive thing and delegating it with authority and awareness and like a leadership quality. So the abdicating versus delegating. So avoiding or facing head on. So I've noticed for myself in business the past few years, I have gone back to, you know, restructure that and, okay, what are all the conversations I avoided in the past few years and how do I dive head on into them, which is so uncomfortable. But in my experience, actually getting through the conversation uh, wasn't as difficult as the energy I put into avoiding it or the fear that I built up around it before doing the work and then having the conversation and doing the work. Okay. Well, it's not as scary when, when I'm in it, I, I built up more negative energy avoiding it and, you know, putting more fear into it. So the facing it head on versus avoiding, I find such a beautiful, curious human reaction because I think everybody does it. Oh yeah. I love, I love hearing that. And going back to just like, yeah, what Robin said, what you've said about being like proactive, how do you find, I don't know, balance is the word, but like, you know, making really time and space and room for your spiritual practices for meditations while you're like running a company? Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my version of success because I feel like this really manifested into what my life looks like now. When we started the business, I thought success was having this big office, the more employees, the more of this, the, the more shiny things. 
you know, what all the external validators are of what success looks like. And then I realized I was actually incredibly unhappy and I wasn't really living the values that I was preaching with Mala and I wasn't really living in line with my values. So we went remote a few years ago. So everybody works from home and everybody can travel. And I really love traveling. One of the reasons I started this business was so that I could travel and explore and explore the world and explore what mindfulness means and have time and adventure. And for me, that's incredibly important. So my version of balance is very different than, you know, everyone's version of balance is very, very different. But I've noticed I'm able to incorporate my spiritual practice into my life because I made a big change in my life to make it look a certain way to live in line with my values. So when I'm traveling, I do have a practice every morning. I do gratitude journaling. I did it again this morning before we chatted. I did it yesterday. I was in a horrible mood yesterday. I knew I was going to go into meetings in a grumpy mood. I pushed the meetings back a few extra minutes so I could do my gratitude journaling. So my team would see a nice, nicer version of myself, which is just a better version of a meeting anyway. So I, I'm very aware that I start my morning with gratitude. I have meditation cushions in my apartment. I'll sit and meditate. Not every day. Not not every single day. It's not perfect. I'll do a lot of time in nature. I go hiking once a year overseas, you know, about a week hike in the mountains so I can realign with myself. So I would say my my spiritual practice shifts and changes and I'm pretty easy on myself if I miss a day here and there. I'm like, that's normal. I'm not a bad person if I didn't meditate today. So I'm pretty flexible and aware that it's not perfect. And also what is perfect? Like exactly like for me, like what was success? It's shifted. So what my practice is now shifts and I'm kind to myself with it. And I'm also just more mindful throughout my day. So, Hey, I'm going to go for a nice walk. I, I would call that a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just manifests in different ways instead of, I need to be on my cushion every morning at 6am. That's not for me, what my mindfulness practices. Yeah. And I think that's when it, it becomes hard for people because it just feels like another have to, another should, another thing. Like if I didn't do it today that I failed at, that I let myself down and it becomes, that's when it becomes like this thing that doesn't feel good when it's like this, like have to versus like, Hey, this is how I flow in life. This is like, I'm actually designing my life around this. There's meditation cushions like in my living room. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just eat my dinner on them and I won't meditate. That's okay. (laughs) I'm not saying, you know, I'm just a bit more mindful and I'm eating perhaps. And we do a lot of free education through Mala. So we do um, like 21 day guided meditation series or a five day meditation series. And I noticed that people really get that all or nothing mentality. If they've Mm -hmm. fallen off on day six, they won't return. (laughs) They're, oh my God, I've missed one day. I can't jump back in. And so we sent emails like, hey, it's okay if you missed a couple of days. Don't worry about it. It's human. You can double up today or you can do none. (laughs) You can jump back in next week. It's okay. So it's just being okay with not being perfect at it. It's not a perfect, it's a practice. So as long as you are, you know, compassionate and non-judgmental as the same as we were talking about earlier in your meditation practice, when your mind wanders, if you don't judge yourself for missing a day here and there, then it's a lot easier to jump back in. I love that. I love that. I love that. The more permission we can give ourselves to be human and to just show up however we can in each moment, the better off we all are. So 
Ash, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for chatting with us. Thank you for sharing your entrepreneurial journey with us, your fears. And honestly, we both, your your company just aligns with both Jack and I so deeply. And it's been so nice to hear from you and to learn more about your what got you here. And we're so appreciative of you. So thank you for being part of our community and for showing up for us and for all the other women who are listening. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I'm just in deep gratitude for being able to chat with you both today. So thank you. Thank you. And if our listeners want to find your beads and get their hands on a meditation cushion or a crystal kit, where can they find you? Yeah. So Mala Collective, uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Uh, We ship everywhere. So you can check out our website. Yeah. We have some really beautiful new cushions that just came out that are, all the cushions are handmade in India and I just adore seeing them come to life. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see something manifest after spending so much time in Asia. So I'm obviously a huge fan and would be so grateful to hear everyone's feedback. So please reach out and feel free to send us a message and ask any questions about mindfulness or meditation. We're here. Oh my gosh, I have a feeling that Rob and I are both going to be going shopping on the website later today. <laughs> Honestly, I was just thinking like, damn, I really need a meditation pillow. And then I was like, I'm, I'm going to say that because I really do need one. And then I was like, no, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, sure you do. But honestly, right now I use this like stiff pillow that I have and it just doesn't do it for me. So I can't wait to hop on line and to see and on oh just the feeling of purchasing something that you know comes from a good place and that's well intentioned and is handcrafted i mean i am all here for that so love that. yes love 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 well if it inspires you then we are we're here so thank you i so appreciate your support thank you thank you thank you thank you ash yes have a wonderful day ladies Thank you so much for joining us today. There really is nothing better than bringing a group of grown-ass women together. So go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and come get real with us every week as we spit our truths and get ready to rise. And if you know other women down to get real, please do us a favor and share this episode on the socials. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at ForTheWildFemme so we can give you a shout out. Instagram is definitely our favorite place to hang. So come join the combo there. And we'll see you back here each and every Thursday. Thank you so much for being here. Get ready to rise. Love you, ladies. If you resonated with the messages in this podcast, we would love if you left us a review on iTunes or if you shared this with your community, you can tag the Femme Podcast on Instagram. If you're wanting to take this work just a little bit deeper, hop inside the weekly. Every week we meet, we've got guest coaches covering a wide array of topics on personal growth, development, to really help you sink into living your best life, to curating the lifestyle that really sets your soul on fire and choose what you pay. So you can pay whatever you like, $11.33 or $77 for the entire month. You also get access to all of the recordings. Go take advantage every single month. We also donate part of the proceeds to a change-making organization. So while you are giving back to yourself and really connecting yourself with an incredible community, you're also giving back to the world. So we love you so much. We can't wait to see you inside that community to make change, to spark 
Uh, more collective love together. And as always, we're so appreciative for you and we love you so much. So thanks for listening and we'll see you right back in this same place next week.